Hello and welcome to Suds, the weekly wash-up from the Startup Daily TV show on AusBiz every Monday to Thursday at 2pm. I'm Simon Thompson, editor of StartupDaily.net and host of the show and, of course, this podcast. Great to have your company. Uh, each week we like to go back and look at some of the great guests we've had on the show this week and also get in a special guest for a chat. And this week my guest is Siobhan Casey, director of the Innovation Labs at ACS. Siobhan, welcome. Great to have you in. Thank you, Simon. Now, it's a big time for ACS, a lot happening. You're in charge of three innovation labs in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, but one of them uh, deserves a birthday candle, and that's, of course, River City Labs, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary this week. Yeah. Founded back in 2012 by tech entrepreneur, and you may have heard of him, Shark Tank investor Steve Baxter. That's right. It's been a pretty extraordinary adventure up there. 700 startup founders have called RCL Home, uh, and in 2018, ACS acquired it, uh, and has, you've been looking after it subsequently. Tell us a little bit about... And my talented about, team. <laughs> and your talented team, absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Innovation Labs. So, Riverseed Labs, you're right. I mean, such a, a brand in Australian, you know, startup ecosystem history, particularly for for Brisbane. So, um, 10 years, uh, we did acquire it as a, you know, sort of a, a buyout, I suppose, of um, Riverseed Labs, a startup. Um, and from that, we've continued to leverage what Steve had put in place. River City Labs does the full ecosystem. We we help people to to create MVPs, uh, ideate their um, you know next big solution, and then to accelerate them into scale ups. In Sydney and Melbourne, our facilities are more designed to complement the ecosystems in those two states, uh, where we focus p- purely on scale. Um, so where someone has a, a, an initial MVP or a customer and a product and they're a B2B tech business, we'll, we'll look to help them uh, accelerate that growth. And we've had some really good success. Sydney's been uh, it's based in Barangaroo, just a couple of towers across from here. Yep, we should have a flying fox between the two with the past should, messages. We should, we um, should. 15 founders and their teams, quiet floor. So it's, you know, it's not your traditional ecosystem where there's VCs and 15 events a week. It's a quiet floor focused on their core, you know, d- deliverable. And Melbourne's the same, but Melbourne has been hit, obviously, with COVID. So we're um, just about to accelerate um, Melbourne's opening again. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, uh, each week we like to go through the big news of the week. We hear a little bit about our guest. They get to choose the big idea for the week. And we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion. And then we're going to talk, funnily enough, founding and investing. We've got some great guests, including Taryn Peters from Rampersan. She's going to talk about the warm intro, the giant warm intro, which is coming up a little later. And of course, Jessica Walker from Airtree, who was talking about the Explorer program they mm. have, which they're opening up to everyone to get involved. You don't have to be a sophisticated investor. You don't need a couple of mil in the bank to do this. It's absolutely fantastic. Had some great conversations this week. Sally Metellicamp from Lived, which is an addiction addressing app, uh, which just basically uses people who've been there, done that, Mm. but see it to be it. Um, to help people get through issues like addiction. She's doing a couple of cool things around Dry July. And we're going to finish up with Dr. Shivan Krish, who is the founder of Go Micro. Amazing. He's, he's, got, he's just been up in Brisbane doing this presentation. He's oh, so infectious as well. His, uh, his he, attitude and his smile and his energy. Is so he, he really encapsulated, when I watched your show earlier in the week, he really encapsulates that energy of a startup. You know, that kind of like we did it for schools and we're doing it in the school education system and seeing, you know, the the, the uh, microscopes and how kids love that and then that evolved into the next product. I'm like, he, he, I could watch him for um, hours. It was a great convo and you'll hear from him a mm. little bit later on. But let's go to the big news and, of course, the attention-seeking economy founder. Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk has decided that, nah, he really has some serious buyer's remorse and he's not going to buy Twitter. 
Twitter, after sort of initially repelling him and then sort of saying, okay, come on board, is saying, no, you can't leave me. This is kind of like a war of the roses mm. at this point in time. Um, just an extraordinary story. What do you make of it? I mean, I know you've tried to buy Twitter with your Platinum Express card, but uh, ACA <laughs> said no. Yeah, no, it was outside the uh, corporate delegations of authority. Um, look, I don't know. There's two schools of thought. I mean, obviously, people sit in one camp that, you know, the sort of feel, feel that he's bought the stock at a particular level, um, obviously then triggered the fact that he might be interested to buy. That's inflated the stock naturally off the back end of that announcement. And now, obviously, uh, as part of his presumably DD, he's identified areas that he's not comfortable to proceed with and he's, um, you know, withdrawing, obviously um, buying out his stock as well, selling out his stock. On the other side of the the pillar could be, you know, is he uh, generally wanting to own uh, Twitter? Um, I kind of sit on that side of the platform myself and through his DDs found um, some of their disclosures not being relevant. And I think there's a lot of... um, you know, a lot of similarity when people do lift the hood on a business. You know, people go out with big figures and big numbers and, at times and then when you lift the hood, sometimes it's not all what it um, seems to be. And I'm just wondering because, of course, he went into Bitcoin big time and I think I was reading this week that he's down something like four or Tesla itself is down $400 million on that particular deal. That's not done well. Um, so, you know... We can talk about due diligence if you want, but it seems like there's a world of pain and it's not a particularly good time to be spending a large amount of money on what is essentially a vanity project, I think. (laughs) I love your uh, term, attention-seeking economy. Very true. Well, of course, we will grab the popcorn and continue to watch how this plays out. Now, let's talk about you, Siobhan. Tell us your story. You're running sort of a pretty impressive portfolio of companies in three states. Um, and, of course, working with dozens of startup founders every day. It must be pretty exciting and inspiring for you. Yeah, I feel like I'm almost a frustrated entrepreneur. If I can't <laughs> do my own venture, I'll do whatever I can to get it uh, in a position that helps others, you know, ideally succeed. And there's so many things, I think, as we both know, that can go wrong in a business. So where, you know, we focus, my team and I focus our energy is um, B2B tech founders. So generally very, very good on the tech side or, you know, PhD uh, you know, qualified um, students coming out of the university system saying there's a real problem I want to solve. And often they don't have that world experience around what the, the business dynamics looks like. So where we can help um, provide what I've been terming business curated advisory or curated business advisory, it's almost like a VC, um, that two hours a month um, board meeting saying, where are you at? Where's your product market fit? How are you, you know, driving growth? We provide those conversations and those, those sort of guardrails and discussions um, but for for the love of God and country as part of the um, Australian Computer Society. So they become lab members, um, which is just a residency fee, um, more or less. So, yeah, it's a, a real privilege. Um, and seeing people thrive and, and, you know, really shine. And we've had great examples in Sydney, you know, Harrison AI, Fathom AI, um, Inside, uh, InSpace XR, um, we've got Relevance AI, um, who were giving their initial funding um, straight out of the US, um, you know, recently graduated um, university students. So really amazing solutions. We, we are um, vertical agnostic or sector agnostic. Uh, we're just really passionate about B2B um, founders um, solving a real problem using tech. So aside from being a frustrated entrepreneur, <laughs> what led you down this path to this uh, place now? See, um, people may disagree with me, Simon, but I'm a big advocate of saying yes to everything. Um, and if anyone knows me... Um, 
um, you know that that's true. So I find myself uh, in situations which I just said yes to and then suddenly I'm, you know, exploring new ventures or new... I'm a very curious person. So I initially in hospitality management, uh, then I uh, proceeded into a human resources and industrial law, uh, you know, industrial relations law kind of career in logistics and warehousing, uh, working with Guinness in Ireland and Woolworths back here. Um, I then moved into the mortgage broking industry, um, you know, as an ops manager for a, a mortgage broking tech platform. And then I, you know, moved into the industry body CEO for mortgage broking in Australia, um, scaled a fintech, um, and I help with a lot of ventures. So uh, I also provide assistance with Enterprise Ireland, helping Irish businesses come to Australia. I lecture at afters in financial management and um, entrepreneurial finance. You know, if you ask me, I'll probably end up saying yes to something. So hence I find myself in all different uh, rabbit holes. Well, you said yes to this, which I'm enormously <laughs> grateful for because I know how busy you are. It's an interesting time for ACS, of course, with Chris Vane, the former White House tech guru, coming on board as your new leader. Yes. It's a pretty exciting time because, you know, and I think about this talking to one of your previous presidents, you know, there has been a little bit of a steadying of the ship at ACS and it's now sort of coming out all guns blazing, let's say. Yeah, look, it's been a really interesting um, experience. I I joined ACS in 2019 and particularly because of the adjacency of ACS, nearly 60-year-old peak body for tech uh, professionals for the innovation space, so all the events, the comms, 100,000 people on Information Age newsletter. So, so much more exposure for those tech founders. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we had a change of CEO um, October two years ago. Um, we've had someone uh, acting that role, Rupert Greston, who's been amazing at steadying the ship and, and developing some of those collaborative um, styles. Chris hit the ground last week from California. Um, he was also the CIO for San Francisco, um, a really um, remarkable uh, gentleman and super, I think the whole team is super excited about working with him. And what that will look for, what that looks like um, over the next sort of two to three three years. So, yeah, watch this space. Well, let's talk about the big idea this week of mm. your choosing, and it's diversity and inclusion. We do have a little bit of that theme this week in our yeah. guests, but it's a passion for you. Tell us a little bit about your thinking and how you address it. Well, it's um, you know I think it's sometimes more often than not gets um, platitudes, which you know it's a bit of sometimes it's a statement on a wall or a, you know a part of your induction manual, which becomes what I would describe as a dust collector. So I think when you generally are passionate about something, it needs to be imbued in everything you do and, and explained through um, what you do. So from a founder's point of view, um, you know, so I am I am passionate about it and it sounds ironic because I'm a Caucasian, you know, blonde female. <laughs> so I don't have a lot of diversity myself. However, um, I think it's so important when you're solving problems in the tech space or a, as any founder would, you need to be ensuring that the problem that you've identified is not just your singular view of the world. It's not just your perception of that problem, that you do ratify that. If you are a young woman finding a problem, does it resonate with men? Does it resonate with older women and younger women, Um, women of colour, women of diversity, Indigenous Australians? Um, How broadly felt is that problem? And that's step one. And then when you move into solution mode, when you think you've solved the problem that you've experienced, how holistically have you solved it? And we see a, a litany of problems with this. Um, you know, the, the the airbag design, you know, it was designed by, you know, seven male scientists, so it would end up killing women and children. Um, you know, it was one of many. Um, We're seeing an AI too. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the phone acknowledging people's faces and, and the disappointment um, people of colour had with that experience. So, and then I look at um, notable a notable example of someone literally explaining that DE, diversity, equity and inclusion policy is what delivered their their results. And it was um, Alan Joyce at Qantas in mm-hmm. 2017. 
So you go back to 2013, you know, all pilots were grounded for three days, they had huge debts, they had major, major problems, and then over a four-year horizon, um, move forward to 2017, significant profit, um, airline of choice of the year, a whole range of accolades. And at the investor pr- uh, presentations, Alan Joyce basically said, it is because of our diverse and inclusive workforce that we've achieved these outcomes. And I thought that was really a great example where obviously it's been, I, I don't know that to be true because I don't obviously work at Qantas or have had any experience, but it was excellent to see um, a CEO saying that. And I think we, we're really, we should be moving way beyond platitudes and dust collectors and actually making sure it imbues and it is part of the conversation daily in our business. Well, then how do you address that as a startup founder? They're thinking about a whole bunch of things and yeah. kind of, I suppose, if you're going to do it in a Maslow hierarchy kind of way, it probably isn't at the top there. So how do you get it to the top in their thinking? Well, it's about success, isn't it? I mean, if you if you say to someone, if you ratify your problem statement more broadly than yourself, uh, people just like you and your mum and dad and your family, who are generally, you know, the, the directors of your cheer squad, um, you're, you're undercooking the potential, you know, you're putting at risk your venture. Um, because you aren't ratifying whether it's a broad-brushed uh, solution. And if it's a, a male-only business or it's a female-only-centred business, that's fine as well. Just make sure it's relevant to more than just your age segment. Um, so I think from a problem statement point of view, you've really got to ratify it. Um, so it just makes commercial sense. I mean, you've got the AICD, the Australian Institute of Company Directors, talking about um, you know goals for diversity of gender on boards and, you know, when you unpack it, it's because it delivers better outcomes. You get better conversations at the boardroom, you get better decisions made. And this is what happens in business, not just at a board level, but all the way through. So if you understand it makes better commercial sense and de-risks you, you know, spending three years on a venture that goes nowhere, um, then why wouldn't you do it? But then the how, so if you understand the, the importance of doing it, the how is then, well, work on your networks, work in some of the ecosystems that, you know, in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Australia has so many different ecosystems for startups, meetups, go to go to presentations, go to gatherings that, you know, align to your interests and, and talk about your venture, talk about, you, you know, your problem statement and see how people respond. Um, you know, do your pitch and if someone walks away um, or someone says, tell me more, um, you know that perhaps they've got a similar experience or lived experience that maybe tells them they're interested to see how you're going to solve it. Of course, plenty of people are talking about it now, but I'm struck by the fact that I think when I was a young founder nearly 30 years ago, I remember reading this book by Professor Mary Kalantis, and I've forgotten the bloke that she did it with, but it was called Productive Diversity, in which she put out this case for the more diversity you have in your workforce, around your board table, the better the outcomes. So we've known this for a long, long time. Long I time. read this, you know, in my 20s. Here we are having this conversation still, and it's a little bit like women and equal pay. Um, mm. Are we making progress or are we just talking about it more? I definitely think we are. And I think if you look at some of the societal trends that have pushed the conversation uh, much more rapidly is the the wake of um, the Weinstein issue in America and the hashtag Me Too and the woke movement. And even, you, you know, we're looking at people apologising, which I, I don't think I fully subscribe to, you know, for content they were in 20 years ago. And then people are saying, oh, I'm offended now. You know, what you produced 20 years ago offended me. It's like, well, time has moved on. And if, if today we produce the same content, would we do it the same way? Well, clearly we wouldn't. So I look at shows now with my, you know, 13 and 15 year old daughters and I think, gosh, I didn't think that was that bad at the time. But I mean, even Rocky, when she's trying to leave the unit and he's going and she's like, oh, I've got to go. And he's like, got his hand against the door, refusing to let her go. I mean, that's sort of, 
you know, to happen today, you'd go, oh, that's a bit creepy. Um, but, you know, it's one of my favourite movies. So, <laughs> well, Like just this week, I'm watching all of Boris Johnson's ministers reside oh. in the UK and the Benny Hill soundtrack being played totally. outside by, you know, at the urging of Hugh Grant. Uh, I wouldn't suggest anyone goes back and watches Benny Hill because no. it is Mine so... Mine one of my dad's favourite shows. And but you know what? Hearing it there in that context, it was absolutely hilarious and yes. that was the right way to use it. But, yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. So I think we are ma- making progress. Of course we are, but I think it is glacial and, and that's sad and I, I find it very um, disappointing when I, I do work with a, a great team at ACS, so quite diverse, and particularly women of colour, you know, people of, um, you know, able-bodied, not, able, not, not fully able-bodied, a whole range of different um, perspectives and lived experiences, and yet we still have a, a binary conversation about gender. There's so much more to it, you know. Age, uh, you know, people of um, neurodiversity, neurodiversity, you know, some absolutely. Great startups in that space. Yeah, so I think we've we've got to understand, particularly if you're a B two C, you need. I mean, the, the great success stories in the last ten years with businesses has been those that have inverted the the customer model. You know, when I started in my career, it used to always be about earnings per share, quarterly returns, what do shareholders think? We care about shareholders to the absolute, you know, anathema to customers. Who cares about customers? It's all about the shareholders. Now it's the other way around. If you solve your customer's problem, your shareholders will be taken care of anyway because yep. you'll be a leading business or you'll be a successful business. And you think about the the, the book From Good to Great and they talk about, you know, um, what what created uh, great businesses. Some, some of those businesses listed are no longer um, great. Yeah. Um, so things can change rapidly, as we know. So, you know, um, being conscious that the customer base you're trying to engage, your business ideally should have a perspective of that customer base. So unless you're diverse, you're not actually understanding um, or, or making the, the best strides to understand your customer. And innovating at the same time sure, sure. along the yeah. way. All right. Well, let's get to this week's show and the people we spoke to on Startup Daily, which you can catch 2pm Monday to Thursday. One of them was Jessica Walker from Airtree, and they've done this amazing program called Explorer, which helps you come into the angel investment space. We got her on to talk a little bit about it, and here's Jess explaining what the Explorer program is all about. The Airtree Explorer program was started in 2020, and it was in a bid to look at the declining um, angel investors in the Australian and New Zealand market and say, how can we solve for this? But also, how can we bring more diversity and inclusion with women and minority groups into what was previously a typically old school industry? So that's kind of where it started. And back in 2020, it was the invitation only. I think you were cohort number one as well. Um, But we've opened it up to the wider Australia, New Zealand ecosystem um, in the startup space just so we can bring in more people um, and get more women and minorities into the space as well. So, yes, I did it, uh, one of the early cohorts. It was amazing because it's kind of lifting the curtains and helping you understand how everyone thinks. Have you been a startup investor? Well, uh, I have, yes, and I actually registered for the program as well. Excellent. Yes, excellent. and I, I felt a bit, it was sort of, I think one of the questions was when you register, um, you know, what's your experience or who have you invested in or something along those lines or what, what's your appetite for investment? I was like, oh, I kind of run three innovation labs and I support a whole range of founders and I've invested in founders. So it, to me, it was almost like, oh, I probably don't need to do that, but why not? Why not though? Yeah, why not? And having that access to a broader portfolio of businesses. I mean, I'm a, I'm a really curious person and I'm someone, I suppose everyone in our space is, that I feel very comfortable being uncomfortable and I'm constantly looking down the freeway at what's coming at us and what are the ways people mm-hmm. are uniquely solving problems. So being involved in conversations with a broader group of people doing that, the, the better. 
Well, uh, they have improved it too, to the point where I'm tempted to go back and have another go. I think applications are open until the 22nd of July, if you're interested. But here is Jessica explaining how the program will work in its next cohort. It's a four-month program from September to December, and it's in four different sections. So the first part is education, angel investing 101, what is it, how can we... um, teach them to become angels and what type of risk and appetite do they have to become an angel. Um, But from there it's legal, term sheet, analysis and then the actionable part is okay but how do you find those startups and then once you find a good startup or a great founder how do you do the due diligence to then invest in that startup. So it's everything that you need to know from angel investing. And then on top of that we have a network of I think around 100 um, angels already across Australia and New Zealand that are sharing deal flow and sharing insights they have from multiple companies around the the region. Um, And then we have events and um, we also invest alongside them if they bring a company to Airtree as well. So yeah, along the way as part of it, if that you bring a company to Airtree and they invest in it, they kind of bring you along on that ride as an investor as well, which I think is a pretty cool idea. Now, we've been talking about diversity and this is kind of an example of that in that it's open to everyone. Mm. As, as I said earlier, you don't have to be a sophisticated investor. You don't have to have that little certificate that stops a lot of people being part of an angel syndicate or anything like that. One of the things I did like about this is, of course, that Cheryl Mack, who now runs Aussie Angels, was inspired by doing the Explorer program to launch Aussie Angels and address that early stage investment area, which has been a bit underserved. So I did ask Jessica about who they're looking for in terms of people to be involved. We're looking for people who are really interested in the space, want to learn how to become an angel investor. You don't have to have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can invest as little as $1,000 within a syndicate. So it's really breaking down those barriers and bringing more groups in that previously wouldn't have um, thought that they could do it. So that's Jessica Walker from Airtree and the Explorer program. Have a look on startupdaily.net. You'll find the story there about the program and you can click on the link and sign up. Well, of course, continuing with that theme, another VC we spoke to this week is Rampersand, and they've got the giant warm intro coming up. I almost called it the giant worm intro, which is a little bit <laughs> Gippslandy, I bit know, but um, it's a really cool program where they've got more than 100 VCs mm, in the room, yeah. and they give startup founders a chance to meet them. Now, that's the really hardest part, finding those connections and getting an intro. And yes, you can ping someone on LinkedIn going hi there, but that's not always that effective. And the biggest names uh, involved in this across the board, uh, including, you know, Afterwork, Airtree, Alberts, I could go through the alphabet. Grok is in there, Giant Leap. So uh, Folklore, Rampersand, of course, um, and Blackbird. So really... Everyone, but some of those really interesting niche ones as well. So this week I caught up with Taryn, who also has written a great piece all about it on startupdaddy.net, to explain why they're doing it. And the reason they're doing it is to get underrepresented groups in front of investors so that they get the backing they deserve. Here's what she said. The stats are really still showing us that there's not enough capital flowing into underrepresented founders. Um, And to be a leading technology ecosystem, like we want Australia and New Zealand to be, we really need to change that. So a couple of years ago, Rampersand had the opportunity to run some workshops with underrepresented founders to understand what the challenges were for them to raise capital. And one of the key outcomes from that workshop 
was that they just didn't have the access to seek early advice from investors or they didn't have a network when they wanted to go out and raise capital. And that's when the giant warm intro came in. So the whole purpose of it is just to provide access for underrepresented founders to investors and have that first initial warm intro connection. This year is actually our third iteration of the giant warm intro. And we're really excited to have over a hundred um, of Australia and New Zealand's leading investors, VC funds and angels participate in the event. For founders, what, the, what this is, is an opportunity just to network with investors, ask them for some advice, test your pitch. Um, but ultimately, the aim is to increase the amount of capital flowing to underrepresented founders. So what a cool initiative. Uh, they've been doing mm. it for a couple of years now and it's coming back. Again, you've got a couple more weeks. I think it's the 27th that applications shut down and then they're going to do it uh, a little later in August. So if you're interested and you are a founder listening, then jump on the Startup Daily website or go to the link for that and get involved because I think it will be a really good program. Now, it's dry July. Uh it's one of those things where I generally sponsor people who are uh, good at that sort of thing. I'm not particularly, I have oh, to confess. My birthday's in July, so it never works for I me. have the same problem, or <clears throat> let's just say the same excuse. But uh, one of the founders I've followed for a long time now, since she first came out of the Antler program, is uh, Sally Metellicamp from Lived. Uh, it's had a couple of different names along the way, but Lived is the right one for this point in time. And it absolutely is because it speaks to what this is about. What she's done is she's built an app to help people deal with addiction. It's inspired by her own personal experience with her family, and it's really, really clever. What she's trying to do is change the conversation around alcohol. And I got her on the show this week to just tell us what she's up to. One in five people in their lifetime will struggle making changes with alcohol. And that's quite a common thing, right? We usually use alcohol to cope with work stress and life. Uh, but despite it being a really common condition, the topic um, the topic around making changes with alcohol still has quite a lot of shame and stigma attached to it, which really prevents people from accessing and experiencing support. And in Australia and the US at the moment, because of the shame and stigma and, and the barriers to access support, it means that people go through a 20-year gap by the time they actually end up in rehab. And that's that's essentially you know, that's, it's far too long. So we're really trying to change the conversation around making changes with alcohol as just, you know, it being part of life, but also creating a platform where we, where we can actually change the way that people both access and experience uh, the way that people um, make changes with alcohol and other substances in the future as well. And so the way that we do that is um, we work with people that have lived experience so that if you want to go and make changes with alcohol, you can find someone on the platform that's already done it that you can truly relate to. So you can go on there and you can find another executive, you can find another parent, or you can find anyone that even looks like you. So you can actually learn how they've overcome um, that that particular challenge that you're going through. And that's really half the battle, finding someone that's done it and actually believing that believing that change is, um, believing that change is possible. So um, you're, the, the company has been around now for, for two years and we're on um, an incredible trajectory. We've changed the lives now of close to tens of thousands of members um, and people are reporting that they have an increased confidence in changing their relationship with alcohol, which is something that we're, which is something that we're, really, uh, we're really proud of. 
What a fantastic story in terms of working with people with lived experience. You find someone who's already done it. And I go back to that thing of, you know, see it to be it. If you, and as she says, you can find someone who looks like you or is it your, whether you're an executive and they're an executive, you know, that you've got this diversity in this storytelling that reminds you that, you know, things like substance addiction affect everyone. It's not, you know, everyone has a vision of a street junkie, but, you know, yeah. it's across the board of society. Well, what, I was surprised. I, I do live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, but one of the highest rates of um, DUIs was mothers picking up their children at three o'clock for school pickup. Yep. Which I thought was quite sad and, uh, you know, it, it quite telling that, you know, it is um, across the whole broad spectrum. It's not, yeah, as you said, the, the cliche uh, view we hold of people with alcohol addiction problems. Yeah, well, she's trying to address this with this conversation. And so I asked her a little bit more about what's going on in this space and how to do it. She makes some really interesting points about, you know, we're not talking about staging the intervention. You're not going off to the Betty Ford Clinic. This is about 10 minutes of your time a day just to find someone that basically can inspire you to tackle this particular issue. Here's what she said. As humans, we don't like to... um you know, we don't identify with the word addiction all the time. We don't like to admit that we have a problem. And a lot of the time when you have a relationship with alcohol, we want to make changes, but it's not that bad enough where we want to go see a GP or a therapist and, 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 nor, and nor should we. So the barrier is just to, you know, saying like, how do I socialize sober? Um, or how do I have the confidence to even understand that change is possible? Are really conversations that also don't always belong in the doctor's office. And so what happens as um, somebody that wants to make changes, big or small, is you can come to the platform and irrespective of whether you just want to start exploring your relationship with alcohol, whether you want to drink less or whether you're ready to live a life alcohol free, you can actually find somebody that's overcome the challenge that has lived experience and listen to a course in 10 minutes or less on actually how they've overcome that. And that's all done through audio courses. So you can do it in the privacy of your home or you can do it quickly on your lunch break. And then we have other tools um, in there as well, which you just mentioned around our drinks tracker that you can launch where you can actually start to track the amount of drinks that you're consuming each week and each month and track your progress over time to start to see and, and really celebrate those changes. Um, again, whether they're, whether they're big or small, irrespective of what your goal is. So how to socialise sober. Now, that is a challenge. I think one of the great things we've seen in the last couple of years is we've got some great startups making no alcohol beer, no alcohol spirits. Of course, no alcohol wine has also started to surge. So there's definitely a shift, I think, in our culture of sort of from that big hard drinking cliche. Yeah, no, I agree. I've even um, purchased some of the the zero alcohol um, champagnes. And it's funny when you share that with friends, some people are like, well, why did you buy it? It's like, well, actually, it's nice to have a glass sometimes with a meal, but not always to have the alcohol content. Um, so it, there's still that kind of, or, you know, there's a, it's still a plethora on social channels around, you know, it's wine o'clock and a whole range of things that do um, represent, I, I suppose, our um, traditional culture around alcohol and the acceptance of alcohol. I saw an ad um, on my trip to London for London Tech Week on the plane. It was um, consistently played. And it was that that idea that if you had a cup of tea or a soft drink at a, um, a work event, people were like, hmm, don't really trust the person that doesn't drink. And now they had that zero alcohol beer come down the end of the bar and the person put their hand up and cheers with everyone else. And it was like, oh, cool, they're one of us. And no one knew that there was a zero alcohol beer. So I thought, you know, that's kind of, however people want to address it or uh, approach that that conversation, I think it's absolutely 
um, so important right now. And to be honest, in my opinion, if we were to invent alcohol today, it wouldn't be approved. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good point. Mm. So one of the things that Sal's doing this month is she's also raising $20,000 for the Dry July Foundation to help people um, with cancer. Uh, of course, the Folklore team have been big supporters. I've seen the Airtree. I'm about to make my donation, so that's my contribution to Dry July. I would urge everyone else to do it too. Go to dryjuly.com slash teams slash lived. Here's Sally explaining why she's getting involved. The Dry July Foundation has been around in Australia for a little while now and they aim to raise funds to help support family members, carers, um, for people that are affected by cancer. And so um, it's a really good time for not only the startup community, obviously, to get around the $20,000 that we're raising, but also the community as a whole to take that 30 days to really reflect on their relationship with alcohol and, and, even, be, um, and even beyond. But a great cause, I think, for um, not only myself and the company to get uh, behind because of our mission, but also the startup community to, ser- you know, to support such a um, such a great cause um, at you know at, at a time where we've just come off the back of COVID and isolation, and, and can really kind of get behind and rally um, such a, a foundation that's been around initially for such a, a long period of time, doing really important work. So cool, you know, important work, and you can see the synergy with what she's doing at Lived. Well, let's get to our final guest on the show this week that we've picked out for Suds, and that's Dr Shivan Krish, the founder of Go Micro. He's been up in Queensland this week. This was an ed tech that pivoted into ag tech, and the cool thing is it's a smartphone app with this little attachment that he's built for about a dollar that goes on there, and as a consequence, you're able to identify fruit and vegetables and how ripe they are. So we're basically talking about a $1 device to deal with a $1 trillion problem. 30% of food basically is wasted. As I sort of joke with him, just think about all those avocados that are yeah. squeezed time Removing and time the again. Test, this, yes. could, this could solve this particular problem. So we got Dr. Krish on the show to talk about what he's doing with Go Micro. Here's what he said. What this does, it, it removes all the backgrounds and shadows. So when you take a picture like that, you get a very clean image that is uniformly lit and it has a magnifier. So you also get to see the texture. The problem with AI is that it is very easily confused when you have different lighting conditions, when you have shadows, it can't really work very well. So by controlling the lighting condition, we're able to achieve very high accuracy, right? That's one thing. The second thing is, you know that your skin under magnification looks very different from your child's skin and your grandfather's skin. So your age is in the skin, right? So with AI, we can assess your age. So, and we can do the same thing for fruits and vegetables. So what a great idea. As you said, watching this, he is such an inspiring man. Would you use that? Would you wander around a fruit and vegetable with mm. this on? Because, of course, he's designed it for professional use so that the industry... Yeah, and the, yeah. the point he makes through the supermarkets to start with. Yeah, and as he says, it's incredibly subjective in terms of... Um, one person can grade something as a five and one person mm. will grade it as a four. And I would imagine if you are the supermarket assessor, the 
putting it down to a four rather than a five uh, probably helps the bottom line of the business. So the temptation would be there along the way. I worked in the supply chain of Woolworths, so I absolutely, um, I've, I've seen them um, doing the quality assessment of fruit and vegetables uh, in our warehouse in Homebush. So I, I definitely know how that looks and feels. I think it's a great device. Um, to be honest, when I listened to um, Dr. Shivam, Shivam uh, if I've pronounced his, surname, his first name correctly, he, um, I actually th- thought of the utility from Oz Harvest. Further yep. down the value chain, um, where you know the lady that started Oz Harvest worked for years to get access to food and and perishables that would con- would be considered not suitable to sell that she could then use in um, people that are, are less. Um, um, you know, in, in, in more difficult situations. But if she had the device as well, she could perhaps even access more food and know exactly where it's at um, for, for the use of um, Oz Harvest. So, well, Ronnie Khan, the founder, sort of, yeah, yes, sends thanks. out drivers everywhere uh, every day to pick up and the yep. supermarkets do back them. So, you know, you go and get, and I've done it as a driver, you go and pick up the produce in yep. the van and take it back to the central warehouse and distribute it. You know, Addy Road, where I'm involved helping with, with food and, and parcels as well. They, of course, get plenty of big boxes and we sift through those, picking out, you know, and it's kind of not particularly sophisticated. If it's got mould on it, then, yes, it gets thrown out. Yeah. But, you know, you, you're trying to find the good stuff. I just love this idea. So we, when we were talking to him, I asked him about the problems that they're addressing and how broad this market could be. This is what he said about it. We solve a lot of problems for the industry, which has been struggling with all kinds of issues. And um, they've been trying to handle this through traceability and modeling, but that's not good enough. Um, So this layer of being able to assess the state of the produce can solve a lot of problems and also resolve some of the conflicts in the industry because human assessors differ from one another. Right? There's a lot of waste as a result of just subjective differences. Somebody might grade this as grade five, somebody you know, within the same chain will grade it as grade four. But the whole thing has to, get, has to be thrown. So um, we've met some really interesting people with a lot, with an amazing range of applications. And that's very exciting. Now the cool thing is we don't know much about fruits, neither we know much about meat, Neither we know anything about algae, but people from all these sectors come talk to us and we can do it because the way we train AI is just by giving sample images. That is why in a week we were able to do about seven or eight types of different vegetables because AI is trained by showing it images. So that's all we need. So it's also very easy to build and very easy to deploy. And that is what makes it powerful. So as he's talking about those subjective obsessors, he's holding up a tomato during the interview and he gave us a little demo so you could see the attachment on the phone and how it would all work. What a cool idea. Oh, it's great. And I loved his term, inquiry-based education. Yeah. Uh, it just totally, it's totally my wheelhouse, that idea about being curious, ask questions, you know, uh, you know, look at it from a different perspective. You know, I, I think about hospitality. When I used to work in hospitality, people that, you know, uh, have the role of cleaning your room don't think about looking at the ceiling. But when you're a guest in a room, you lie down on the bed and the first thing you look at is the ceiling. Um, so, you know, how, how do we look at things in a different perspective, um, particularly from a customer, empathy towards the customer? Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I thought he was fantastic, as I shared earlier. Siobhan Casey, great to have you on SUDS today and to share your insights. 
Uh, of course, uh, ACS is pretty busy. Information age, I love reading so yep. much so that I even steal a couple of stories in a copy share deal with, yep. uh, with Rula and the team there. Uh, look, Suds will be back, of course, next Friday. Uh, Startup Daily will be back on air at 2 a 2 p.m. I was going to say 2 a.m. Yeah, Gosh, well, that's a bit keen. You could get up early if you like. <laughs> well, let's stick to 2 p.m. Capturing an international audience, are we? <laughs> bit more convenient. Well, if you miss out, you can always watch it on catchup on ausbiz.com.au. Everyone, have a great weekend. You too, Siobhan. Thank you, son. Happy birthday. Thank you. It is your month. Yeah, and uh, Monday. Enjoy the festivities. Everyone, have a great weekend. Bye for now.